Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Good evening and welcome to My Therapist Says. I'm uh, Dr. Don Welch, and I'm the moderator of My Therapist Says, and we welcome you. It's like having a therapist in your living room so that you can ask your questions about the topic of that evening. So we welcome you. This is our first live streaming My Therapist Says here at Skyline Church here in La Mesa, California, and so we're thrilled about that opportunity, and we will be giving you information at the end of uh, the session about how you can alert friends or yourself to enjoy this even via uh, in your own home or wherever you'd like to be as you're listening. So we welcome you. The topic tonight, of course, is becoming the friend you desire, and we're really looking forward to the dis- discussion, and I just want to invite you, if you would, to hold up your 3x5 card to make sure that you have one. If you have a 3x5 card, now you've practiced the fact that you can write a question on that 3x5 card at any time during the evening. You can lift that card in the air, and one of our hosts will come by. They will receive that from you, and they'll bring that to me as the moderator up front. So uh, please begin to ask your questions about uh, what you would like to see related to becoming the friend that you desire. So you write that down. Anyone have your card ready? Just hold it up in the air and we'll pick that up here uh, with our hosts. So if you'll begin to think about that question. We've been at this uh, close to six years. We have over 60 plus audios of our My Therapist Says topics related to eating disorders, trauma, Uh, depression, anxiety, and the list goes on and on. And tonight it's about a relationship, how to improve that, strengthen it, and to look at how you and I and others can become that friend that we really desire. I'd like to have a word of prayer. We're going to then move right into a 15-minute presentation, and then we will be spending a good part of the hour discussing the topic. So again, if you're thinking of a question, if you would write it down just now on that 3x5 card and hold it up at any time, and we would love to come by, pick that up, and they'll bring that to me, and I'll be reading perhaps most, if not all of them this evening, and addressing the questions. So thank you again for being here this evening. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing upon the work that we do tonight that it would honor Him. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you again for the privilege of prayer. It's a wonderful gift that you've given to us. You've mandated that gift in our lives as Christians that we would pray for one another, that we would praise you and be thankful for what you are accomplishing in our lives on a daily basis and moment by moment. And we thank you for prayer this evening. And we ask in the name of Jesus that you would bless all that we do this evening, that it would bring honor to you as we strengthen relationships. You're the one who reached out to us first in grace and mercy. And that's a healthy relationship, one who takes initiative. And we pray tonight, as we work together, that most importantly, that you would be pleased with the work that we conduct, and that we would be changed because of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God himself in each of our lives. And we'll be careful to give you praise for health. All health comes from the the heart of God himself. Thank you this evening, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. 
Amen. As I introduce the panel members this evening, I just want to invite you to hold up your card now because in just a few minutes we'll be ready to get started. If you have a question, there's one right there. There's a couple, I think, that are going up. If we can have our hosts to help us to pick up these cards. If I can, Dave and Lawton back there, if I can have you help me with the cards and bring those forward. Thank you very much. They're greeting a lot of people who are coming in, so they're doing the right thing, and I'm distracting them by asking them to, to help me with this. So, uh, Dennis Estol is with us this evening. He's not new to us, and you can see his bio and background right above him on the screen here. He's going to be our presenter uh, this evening for about 15 minutes, and we're thankful that he's back with us, and we look forward to that. So, thank you. And... Uh, Roxanne Strauss is with Strauss is with us again this evening, and uh, she has presented. In fact, will be our presenter next. Uh, actually, next, my therapist says. And again, thank you for being here this evening. Uh, a tremendous mind and thought, and also a wonderful heart that she has for helping people in relationships. Erin Cragen is with us again, and she was one of our presenters several times with us. We're so thankful. She has a broad background of working with various uh, types of situations and relationships, and you can see her background as well. And so thank you, Erin, for being with us again this evening. Dr. Marcel Fallon will be coming in just a few minutes. We, we knew that he was going to be just a little bit delayed getting here, but he'll be in the chair just to the far left here. Uh, Dr. Marcel Fallon, who's been a, uh, an avid presenter over the years with us. So you'll see him just slip up. I won't introduce him again, but he will be slipping into his chair, hopefully in about five or maybe ten minutes. So without any further introductions, would like to invite you again to raise your hand if you do have a three-by-five card with a question for this evening. We'll be receiving those even during uh, Dennis Estel's uh, presentation. We'll be receiving the three-by-five cards. So Dennis, thank you. Well, thank you for having us here. It's a great pleasure to speak with you and about a subject that is, um, for most of us, near and dear to our hearts, and that's friendship. As I was thinking about this, the greatest joys in my life have been the result of friends. The greatest pain in my life has been oftentimes because of friends. So what are we talking about when we, when we think about friendship? George Eliot wrote, friendship is the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words. That last phrase is kind of important because that really describes the one of the qualities of friendship is that we can speak honestly to each other. Jesus, in fact, prior to his uh, ascension, spoke to the disciples and he spoke to them in a, in a very special way. In John 15, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Again, you, you hear that same repeated idea of what friendship looks like, and that is a revelation, a revealing of oneself in honesty towards another person. Friends are not just a a pleasure in our life, but they are something that is extremely important, both from a mental and a physical uh, perspective. On the physical side, there's a lot of evidence right now that shows that close friendships translate into lower risks for heart attack and for stroke. Now, that's actually good news if you have friends, uh, but if we don't have friends, then what's going on? Well, we have found also that there are stress hormones that are released when someone says, I feel alone. Now that could, interesting enough, uh, most of us when we get married, we, we marry with the idea that we're marrying our best friend. 
So some of these same ideas are very transferable to marriage as, as well. But it's spe specifically friendship, uh, we see this detrimental effect when people feel alone. Despite the importance of friendship, one of the uh, problems I think of most Americans is that they can only name a few close friends. In fact, I gave you some statistics from a recent Cornell University study that asked participants, how many people can you tell and you share important matters with? 48%, nearly half, said, I've only got one person in my life that I can really tell important things to. 18% said they, they really only have two people that they can share with uh, share in that way, while 29% said they had three friends, and then 4% uh, of the respondents said, I don't have anyone in my life like that. One of the, I think one of the greatest uh, uh, sources of pain and friendship that I have experienced is thinking that I had one type of friend and they were thinking that they were actually a different type of friend. So I wanted to share with you uh, Aristotle actually, and this is how far it goes back trying to define friendship, he was one of the first to come out with, uh, with the categories of friends. And I'm going to use that, I'm going to word them a little bit differently. But he spoke of friendships of utility, friendships of pleasure, and friendships of the good. And when we confuse those and we think that we have one type of friend and we really don't, that's oftentimes when we become hurt and disappointed. Um, I'm going to describe them in this way, friendships of usefulness. Now, most of us don't like to feel like we've been used by somebody, but friendships are designed to be useful. Uh, some typical uh, friendships that are useful in our life that we really are thankful for uh, is our co-workers, business partners, uh, classmates. They often fit this category. They are, they are friends that are useful. Uh, they, they help us to get something more done than we could alone. And uh, they are oftentimes people that make our life easier and more productive. There is also those who are the friendships of mutual interest. That's the, the glue that holds this kind of relationship together is um, the things that we share, that we enjoy with them. It might be uh, a fishing buddy, an exercise buddy, a golf buddy, but it's somebody that we share a special interest with. And uh, there is a pleasure that comes not only from the interest that we are mutually involved with, but also from each other as well. Now, unfortunately, if the interest is no longer a part of our life, oftentimes what we see happen here is that friendship uh, is, uh, is ended. And then Aristotle thought that the third type was the highest type, and I tend to agree with him, and it's, I think it's what Jesus was describing there in John 15, and that's the friendship of virtue. It's the glue that holds this, the, the glue that holds this friendship together is mutual respect. I respect him. I respect her. Uh, it is uh, even admiration. I, I just think they are a great person. Uh, you value one another as people. You enjoy each other's company. You are their friend, not just for the benefit that you get out of it, uh, but how you can bring pleasure to their life as well. You, honestly, you just like them. You may not be able to describe it any more than that. And that is the highest form of friendship. 
It's what we might call true friendship or close friendship, and we'll, we'll refer to both of those as we go through. So what kind of person do we need to be to have that kind of friend? I've heard a lot of people say, I really would like more friends in my life. And I, I think the biblical answer to that is, is if we want more friends, that we have to prove ourselves to be a good friend. So what are the seven things that I can do, you can do, to become the friend that I desire? The first is be interested in others. Dale Carnegie, who most of us are familiar with, said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. I think he's onto something there. Because as we listen to others, as we show an interest in who they are and what's important to them, we begin to truly love and understand them. Every person, I think, has, they have this invisible sign that hangs around their neck that just says, I want to feel important. And we don't have to feel important to everybody, but we need to know that we're important to somebody. And when we show interest in others, we're saying, you're important to me. The second is uh, be a giver and not a taker. Now, all of these, I, I'm not going to talk about boundaries tonight because that would be maybe more how, this, how a friendship is structured. Uh, I'm going to assume, and this is a dangerous assumption, that we all have good boundaries. If you don't have good boundaries, some of these characteristics of a good friend are going to be turned around and maybe become abusive. So let's assume we have good boundaries. We're able to say yes when we mean yes, and we're able to say no when we mean no. That's the simplest uh, definition of a boundary. The second characteristic of uh, becoming the friend I desire is be a giver and not a taker. Giving and self-sacrifice are part of the definition of what love is. And if we love someone, we're going to look for ways to meet their needs. This, now you're hearing a very kind of couple-ish kind of uh, marriage kind of uh, a thought, but it's equally true in good friends. To know someone's needs, we've got to take that genuine interest in them. We have to find out what they really do need in that moment. And it might be just as simple as an encouraging word. Uh, it, may, uh, it may be just a, someone to hang out with them for a few minutes. But all of these things, the giving that we're talking about, it does take time. And it oftentimes takes us out of our way. We have to pause in our life to spend time with that friend. John Ox Oxenham wrote about the reciprocal nature of, of friendships. And that's an important uh, phrase there, reciprocal nature, because friendship, by definition, must be reciprocated. I can't just be doing all of these things for you. You've also got to be doing them for me. Otherwise, I don't have a friendship. Listen to his words. He said, Art thou lonely, O my brother? Now, he wrote this a couple hundred years ago, so you understand the language. Art thou lonely, O my brother? Share thy little with another. Stretch a hand to one unfriended, and thy loneliness is ended. The third is to be loyal. It's probably one of my, uh, I guess, one of my deep, deep values, especially in the characteristic of a friend, that they, I want to be loyal to them, I want them to be loyal to me as well. And it's a rare commodity in our culture, 
Most of us have been burned at, at least once by someone's disloyalty in our life, but it's an absolute requirement of true and abiding friendships. Because when we're loyal to one friend, what we are actually doing is proving ourselves worthy of many more friends. So it does tend to grow, and it obviously also takes time. Close friendships bring with it, and this is what Jesus was referring to, bring with it disclosure. Loyalty is expressed by protecting that disclosure, by not revealing confidences. To be able to say to the other person, I trust you enough to confide in you knowing that it will go no further. If you've been disloyal in that regard and you got caught, you know how destructive it is to friendships. When Jesus said that last phrase of John 15, for everything that I learned from my father, I've revealed it. I've, I've shown it to you as well. If you're loyal, you're not going to tear down your friend. Not behind their back, certainly not in front of them either. You're not going to tell their story without their permission. And you've got to be willing to earn the trust of someone so that they have no doubt about you. My friend, he, she, they've got my back. One of the things that happens in every relationship, friendships included, is disagreements. And I think most friendships are tested from time to time by the disagreements that go on. Friends, true friends, don't cut you off because you've disagreed with them. They may, they may tell you what they think you need to hear, and vice versa, they want you to tell them what, you th what you're thinking, but they'll do it in such a way that you can receive it and uh, that they will accept it from you. The reason is, is because you know that they love unconditionally more than they love their views. I love you more than I love my, my view. The fourth is, in, in friendships, is to be positive. The most consistent comment I hear from people about friendship is, I just want somebody to have fun with. That, by the way, is, is, a, is a characteristic of positive people. It's fun to be with positive people. It's not very much fun to be with negative people, whining people. And that is, uh, is one of the things that you and I, all of us, we can do this. We can be positive. A friend, uh, a friend is, is able to share with us their hurt, and we listen, but they're not a habitual whiner. That's the difference. If someone said it's that there are two kinds of people, those who brighten the room when they enter and those who brighten the room when they leave. <laughs> I want to be the former. Positive people demonstrate an attitude and a spirit that sees God at work. One of the things I really appreciated about Blackaby's book, uh, Experiencing God, was this, he said, God is at work all around you. Don't you love it when your friends come up to you and say, guess what? God's at work all around you. I see him at work around you. That, that is a, a very positive statement and something that people are, are dying to hear in our life. Be generous with praise. Be generous with your smiles and your love. Someone said that friendship doubles joys and halves griefs. I would agree. And then finally, fifthly is be appreciative. Aren't you thankful that there's a Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors? You ever wonder why there's not a Baskin-Robbins one flavor? Because it just wouldn't sell. 
There's not enough people. And one of the things about friends that you have probably already discovered is God has made some really different people. He created people in a variety of personalities and talents and interests. And each one of us is that unique creation of God. And we, we get mixed together through friendships, marriage, churches even. And we are blended in to form the body of Christ. One of the things I say to couples sometimes is that opposites when we are dating, opposites attract. When we are married, opposites attack. And that sometimes happens in friendships too. Oh, they're so, they're so unlike me. And, uh, and then we wonder why sometimes we, we have a problem with them later. I think the problem, not only marriage, but friendships as well, is that instead of appreciating our differences, we tend to despise them. Jesus addressed this, actually the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, and he, he was really celebrating our differences with each other. And he said, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Aren't you glad God, you are just as God wanted you to be? If they were all one part, one nose, one ear, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but it's still one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and the parts that we think have less honor, we treat with special honor. Because God has combined the members of the body and he's given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division. Along with that, the varieties of personalities in relationships, there's also the variety of faults. Oh, I wished everyone had my strengths and my faults so I wouldn't feel so bad when I compare myself to you. <laughs> but that's not the way it is, is it? You've got your strengths, your personality, and you've got your faults as well, and I do mine. I need to learn not only to put up with your faults, but to appreciate them as much as I do your strengths. Then sixthly, be available. It takes time to be a friend. Do you know, have you noticed that? It takes time to communicate with your friends, to spend time together with them. And I think for me and for probably most of us here, it, it requires us to schedule friendships. It sometimes looks a little bit artificial, but it usually works. When we schedule something, when we put it on our calendar, we are saying this is important. And it can be small groups that are birthed out of a church. It can be sports. It can be hobbies, shared interest. But the point is, you have to allow your common interest to draw you together and not to pull you apart. As I've said, this is true of marriage as well. Marriages were made in heaven, but they must be maintained and tended here on earth. Uh, uh, McLaughlin put it this way, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. Mm -hmm. Many friends, <coughs> pardon me, many friends and couples tend to get focused on their differences and this will always be destructive. Seventh and finally, be open, honest, and real. Uh, John Lynch wrote a book, True Faced, and it was about unmasking ourselves, unveiling before God and each other. 
true friendships cannot be built on uh, false images. Being honest, being open, doesn't necessarily mean spilling our guts to everyone, but it does mean that there are some people that we can share with. I want to close with George Washington's uh, quote. I'm going to ask uh, one of my panel members to read that for me. Uh, it's found there on your notes, and he offered some wise words about friendship. Let me read it. Hello. Okay, I have it right here. Be courteous to all, but intimate with few, and let those few be well tried before you give them your confidence. True friendship is a plant of slow growth and must undergo and withstand the shocks of adversity before it is entitled to the appellation. George Washington. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Would you join me in thanking Dennis for this wonderful presentation? Wow. Thank you again. That was very succinct and full, full of great truths and ideas for us and how to be a friend. Um, I just want to invite you. I have one card with me. If you have your card with your question, would you just raise it in the air so that we can collect that and bring it this direction? The first question uh, that's being asked this evening is really a very, very powerful question. It may sound simple, but it's very powerful from my perspective. What does loving your neighbor this scripture, loving your neighbor as yourself mean in friendship. Now, we could spend the rest of the evening on this particular question. We're nodding, I think. I do want more questions if you do have them out there that you would like to raise this evening. Let's start with this particular question. Would someone be willing biblically just to, to begin to un unwrap where this particular uh, quote comes from in the sense of what was being asked of Jesus and how did this question correlate or connect with the Old Testament? Is that a fair uh, question? We have two pastors on the platform. I don't know if everybody's looking over to the two, but... <laughs> and, and we have a wife of a New Testament scholar as well. Yes, Roxanne, yes. Her husband, professor at Bethel Seminary right here in San Diego. So could we just, I may have asked it too uh, specifically, could we begin to unravel what is, this, what is this particular phrase or this biblical truth coming out of the Bible? Help us to understand what it means, and then we'll try to address the question. And the question again is, what does loving your neighbor as yourself mean in friendship? Let's start there. I believe that question was asked about uh, Jesus, what are the two most important commandments in the Bible? And he responded, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. What he was doing was summarizing the Ten Commandments, which we're familiar with, those, with, with the Ten Commandments. We may not be able to uh, quote them from heart, but we understand that it's not right to steal, not right to take somebody's wife, not, re not right to, uh, to lie, to bear false witness. Uh, and he was saying the same things that you want done for yourself are the way in which you're to, you're to treat your friend. And I think that that's the premise of the, of the topic tonight, becoming the friend you desire. So if I want that kind of friendship, if I want this quality that we've talked about, I've got to offer quality friendship. I can't be, a, I can't be hit and miss. I've got to be loyal. Uh, I've got to be true. I've got to be honest. I have to be open. Uh, and so I think that Jesus is referring there to that quality of love, that loves in the same way that we want to be loved. Uh, and 
obviously he's talking to uh, to healthy people I, I guess there's always somebody that says I don't I don't even like myself how can I like somebody else but Jesus is talking to people most of us we like ourselves there's things we want to change but we certainly have a, a, qual a characteristic of these are the ways in which I want to be treated this is what I expect to be uh, from others and also what I want to give to others Okay, let's start then with thank you for that summary. Um, Dennis, some of us are saying, we want to come to your church, so we're not going to let you tell that church's name, but I'm just teasing because of how succinct you are in bringing all of this together. When we look at this, you had mentioned a moment ago, unmasking or unveiling ourselves. Let's assume for a moment, as a panel, that uh, this is talking about a healthy person like you just suggested. In a moment, I'd like for us to go to someone who may be defended, which means they may not think well of themselves. But let's start with the healthy one. How do you do this? What does loving your neighbor as yourself mean then in a friendship? Let's start there, shall we? See what you think about that. How would you respond to that? If someone came into your office, which this, my therapist says is like having someone in your office. So I'm coming into the office saying, I really need more friends. I happen to hear this uh, Pastor Dennis is still at Skyline Church, and my therapist says, and he was talking about how to be a friend, and I, I hear that. However, give me some practical tips of how I, in my own skin, how I can do that, and I'm a fairly healthy person. How would you advise, therapists don't really do that, but how would you help us to understand and begin to work with that and to actually produce more friendships in my life? Um, well, first of all, I would ask that person, um, how do you love yourself? First, you have to know, uh, how do you take care of yourself? And what are you doing to take care of yourself? What do you do to love yourself? Um, and um, so to, to, to love yourself first, you have to understand what that means. And so... Um, Again, we don't give advice, or we try not to give advice, so I don't think I would say, well, you can go out and, and do this for others, but first I would find out how is it that you're loving yourself? Um, well, what is it that you want? What is it that you desire for yourself? And how can you do that for somebody else? I think it's different for each person. I think it's a um, everyone is different. We all have different needs, um, and so... Uh, our friendships look different too. So I would have that person come up with how they are taking care of themselves and then how they can do that for someone else. Let's start there then. Thank you so much, uh, Roxanne. Let's start with what would be ways in which you see in a person who's healthy, because we're on that topic, who is taking care of her or himself, what does that look like? So we have everyone listening to us dialogue about this. What are signages, ways in which this person is showing that they are healthily caring for self? Give us some understanding to that, if you wouldn't mind. I think one of the things that struck me as you were asking that question is the ability to commit. Hmm. Uh, that I'm, I'm comfortable enough in, uh, to enter into a relationship that I'm willing to commit to it. Um, Oftentimes, what you see is a very shallow. Uh, in in unhealthy people, they're they're fearful of relationship. Oftentimes, so they're going to be reluctant to commit themselves. Uh, healthy people, on the other hand, tend to they give of themselves. There's an openness, and that was the uh, that uh, John Lynch's book on True Faced was based on the premise that 
we are honest with ourselves and we are honest with others. So I know myself, you know, I am true to myself. I've, I've not put on this mask to please other people. And I think you were able to see that in, in others. So when I have, when I possess that, that sort of uh, inner truth, that honesty with myself, I can tell you, I see it in other people as well. Or I also am able to say, boy, they are just a big phony. And we, we know, we, we can tell the difference. And I think that that's one of the marks of healthy healthiness as well. The ability to commit, the ability to be true to oneself, and open and honest with others as well. So you had suggested in your presentation, a yes is a yes, a no is a no. That's true to myself, correct? That's what, that's what you're suggesting. Yeah, and that's a good boundary. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, it's oftentimes what we hear people say in therapy is, is I was doing this to try to please that other person. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, there, there seems to be very little thought given to what would really bring me pleasure or what I really think is right and wrong. Uh, so oftentimes we lay our values aside in our efforts to please somebody else. And I think that that's a danger in friendship. And it certainly would be a mark of uh, unhealth uh, where in true friendships, we share values. I believe the same things you believe in, not, you know, consistently across the board, but we share values. I, I believe in truthfulness, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I believe in honesty. Yes. I believe in committing to myself to relationship, and those are some of the qualities that we're looking for in quality uh, relationships, and, uh, and it's, it's helpful. I think that's where it takes time to figure out uh, the values that that other person does possess that match up with our own. So it's sort of like the way that God committed to us through Jesus Christ. He reached out to us first. He knew himself well. In fact, there's no one ever on the planet who knew him or herself as Christ knew himself. So he was giving out of a desire to care for and, and please us, but there was real purpose in it. He never violated his own self. Yes. He gave himself away, but he never violated okay. himself. How do we do that? How do we not violate ourselves? A, you're making a really good point, Dennis, because this is the common statement that I hear, and you may in your practices, that I give myself to these friends, and then I'm duped, they don't appreciate, they, they actually take advantage of me, I believe I'm doing it for the right uh, reason, or I even do this for my mate, and I don't seem to have any reciprocity or gifting coming back my way. Is that a common feature? Maybe not in all practices. Is it's, it's what's brought most disappointment in my relationship with others. Okay. Remember, I, I, I use the phrase reciprocating relationships. They mm -hmm. must be reciprocal. If, if you don't have reciprocity, you don't have a friendship. And you have, sometimes you have to remind yourself. I, I've reminded myself, this person is an acquaintance. This person is, is a friendship of usefulness. But it's, but it's not the true friendship. And uh, there's nothing wrong as long as we understand what that friendship really does look like. Uh, but the disappointment comes, as I said earlier, when we don't have a clear definition of what the friendship is all about. Okay. Aaron, yes. Yeah, I was going to say that very similar, Dennis, is knowing the difference between when you're doing it, if you're doing it out of like a, I'd say, a clean heart, if you're like loving your neighbor, if your intention is to get something back, then 
that's where there's a problem. But if you're just doing it out of a out of a good heart to give, with no intentionality there, that's different than if it's a mutual friendship. Then you'd have to look at the level of friendship. Then you're, and then if you notice there's no reciprocation, then you'd probably have to notice that there's something wrong in the friendship, and then you'd have to reevaluate the friendship. And I, when I, when you were asking about the question of, oh, how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Um, and I think that it's kind of two different topics in my mind. Is one is giving without the hope of receiving back. Whereas in mutual friendship, it's, it's picking people that are, quote, safe people and knowing the difference. Yeah, I think that's true in marriages, is it not? We were working on Dr. John Gottman's material at, at our center, of course, and he is the person who is the renowned thinker, scientific thinker on marriages. And he would say, if you enter into a marriage where it is based on reciprocity, even though, Dennis, I completely agree with you, that if it's this for that, that your marriage is very tenuous. It's in a very delicate, challenging place. However, if we do as Aaron, you were suggesting, I'm giving out of a cup full of love. Uh, in fact, I think Jesus was suggesting that because the people were following the Ten Commandments, and he was deducing all of that down with the two Ten Commandments. They were following tradition rather than a heartbeat for the other person. And so he was saying, unless you have a healthy view and understanding of who you are in relationship with me, Jesus Christ, then you'll probably look for full reciprocity. I'll only give what you can get, give to me. And I know you weren't saying that because you were saying that's a very healthy part. Certainly not in a marriage. Uh, right. I, I agree with Gottman. If you're keeping track of, I did this and they did that and he did, and all the chores that you do that they do, uh, Gottman would say that your marriage is in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing. I think the point with reciprocity and friendships is, is it, it's, it has to be two-way. Uh, if you're, you don't want to keep score, again, I think that that's damaging to the relationship, but it does need to be two-way, and uh, there, has to be, there needs to be some giving and taking in a healthy friendship or a healthy marriage. Well, it looks like we're ready to move on to the next question, but okay. uh, going back to what Aaron was saying about, you know, the question was, how do we love our neighbor who is, you know, and also the aspect of, then the double question is, how do we how do we love ourselves? How do we know that? But uh, if I'm correct, I think in one of the one of the gospels, Jesus answered that question when he was posed because the Pharisee was testing him, and and he says, well, you know, well, well then who is my neighbor? And Jesus began with the story, of the parable of the of the good Samaritan, and we're talking about giving in without reciprocity. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a wonderful story. And Jesus concludes, he never really quite answers that question, but you can conclude, and I've heard that how do we know who our neighbor is? By some, anyone we see who has a need. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. if now that means if we're going out the street here and we see a guy standing on the corner with a sign, does that mean we give him money? Well, if God leads you to do that, he has a need, do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyone who we see that has a need could be considered our neighbor. Uh, and then the other aspect of loving, uh, how do we know about ourselves? Well, again, Paul answers that question, I believe, in Ephesians when he talks about marriage, where he says, no man, you know, how, husbands love your wives as you love yourselves, because no one never, every person, we nourish and we cherish ourselves. Husbands, men do this. 
Well, what does that mean? We nourish. Well, we take care of. I heard Josh McDowell say he, he boiled all that down to two words. How do you know if you love in marriage? How do you know if you love yourself? Well, what do you do for yourself? I provide for myself and I protect myself. Mm. I feed my body. I wash it. I care for it. You know, I, I try to care for it. Uh, I, I, I nourish myself. I make sure I get proper intake uh, of food and other things and sleep and rest. That's how I know I love myself. I'm taking care of myself. I protect myself. I don't let other people violate my boundaries that we've been talking about here. I don't, um, I don't do things that would, um, that would self-harm intentionally. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of model that says, all right, a person who loves themselves, they do those kind of things. And so then Jesus says, or Paul says, then go ahead, and, and this is how you're to love your wife, husbands. The same way you provide and protect for your body yourself emotionally spiritually physically relationally however do that for your wife that's a sign of knowing that you love yourself is by doing that then for other people too wonderful i think you're referring to ephesians 5 beginning maybe around 22 and following uh, we're, we're doing an excellent, I think, assessment of the positive side, and I'd mentioned that we might go to the negative in the sense of how someone doesn't feel that way about him or herself, and the next question leads us into that. So, Marcel, thank you for that. Uh, what are some strategies in dealing with friends who are in need of constant approval? Now, I thought I'd hear an amen of that one, because that's a really good question. How many of us have been in a relationship where that's been the case? What are some strategies? That may be a person who doesn't healthily love her or himself, but what are some strategies in dealing with friends who are in need of consistent approval? I can't seem to validate them fast enough to stay sane. That's the question. I guess that wasn't that was not a question. They're actually adding a little statement at there at the end. I can't seem to validate them fast enough to stay sane. Are they so, talking about their husband or a friend? <laughs> <laughs> now you've gotten real personal here, but let's 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 try to address that. It may be a it may be a spouse or it may be a, a friend. Hopefully, your spouse is your friend, like you suggested earlier. Let's talk about that for just a moment. What are some strategies? It's a great question. That's why we're here to, to get some strategies, ideas, think things through more in depthly. Um, Um, uh, somehow download them into our lives. So what are some strategies in dealing with friends who are in need of constant approval? How do you, how do you approach that? One of the first things I would say, and I'm just saying it off the top of my head, but I would, I would say limit your time with that person, first of all, because you still need to have your boundaries. And if it's driving you crazy, you need to, um, Uh, limit your time with them. Not completely cut off from that person because obviously that person needs you in their life. They probably need a lot of people in their life. And so um, I would say that this person does need approval. This person probably needs a lot more than just approval. Um, So this is one of those cases where I would say just giving from your heart and giving to that person um, is a good thing, but you need to be careful how much you're giving so that you're just not depleting yourself. Um, It's not, doesn't sound to me like a reciprocal relationship where it's a give and take, so it's going to be on a different level. It's a different kind of friendship, Um, but it doesn't mean you can't be a friend to that person. You just need to be careful that you, you protect yourself too in that relationship. 
Isn't that kind of situation where someone is giving and giving and giving and then all of a sudden they just reach their end and now I'm really frustrated, I'm agitated, I really have ugly feelings toward this person. How would we back up from that and not reach that point? What would you say to a patient, a client, if they're trying to understand how to do that, like you're talking about, Roxanne, being aware of it, knowing when that I can stop, uh, giving when it's continually being asked of me to give? Well, my thought would be, um, at least from the card, from your reading, was that instead of reinforcing this approval need or giving, giving that approval, um, would be to wait or ask questions back and maybe not reinforce this approval need. I'm not sure exactly how it's asked or how you know that they're asking. Are they directly asking? Are they saying, do I look pretty? How am I? Tell, or tell me I'm pretty. But instead waiting with them, sitting with them, and more reflecting what they're, when I say reflect, like asking back what they're really asking. like you know, oh, I don't really feel good. And instead of coming right back with, oh, but you look beautiful. Oh, oh you don't feel good. Because I'm, I'm wondering if it's their approval need or if it's your uncomfort with them. So I'm, and so I, I'd, I'd want to know a little bit more about it than if it's their approval need. So one of the things you're saying to create an atmosphere by which someone can be more self-esteemed is that you reflect with them. So they're saying, oh, did I say that to you? Um, I really mean this. So now I'm building my self-esteem because you're reflecting with me. And I'm also showing myself empathy. I really believe that's what Jesus was saying in that first question when it asked to be, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think he was saying, hey, if you really understood how much I love you, this is God talking through Jesus Christ, and you really got how much I loved you, you would have a lot of self-empathy, a lot of care for yourself. As, as you were saying, Marcel, how to care for myself. You'd have a lot of care for yourself. And then that self-esteem, that self-empathy would have a fuller cup to share with others. So I think what you're talking about is how to help someone in self-reflection gain self-esteem and self-empathy. You really can't have self-esteem without self-empathy. The research shows that biblical truth reveals that. Marcel? That's very true, Dr. Welch. I, I want to just go along with this question is uh, that the, um, repeat the question again, I'm sorry, Don. Uh, well, the, the question are, what are some of the strategies in uh, dealing with friends who are in yeah. need of consistent approval? Uh, I, I think if I was in a relationship with somebody like that, and this is a pattern that I did, I'd probably want to just say, you know, I'm just curious about something. I've noticed that when I'm with you, there's this constant need for approval. Um, have you ever noticed that about yourself? Oh, yeah, you know, the person hopefully would say, oh, you know, and that could open up dialogue and reflection in terms of, you know, gee, you're right. Or maybe they'll be surprised, and, or maybe, you know, they'll say, oh, oh, you know, I'll get all defensive and nervous. But I, I think I would just want to, if that, if that, if I was around a person continuing like that, I'd say, you know, just wondering, have you ever noticed that there's this constant need for you always asking? Have you ever noticed that? Hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not offended by it, but I'm just wondering. You're so good at this, Marcel. I can't do what you're doing, but that is, I mean, the way you're saying it is so empathetic. I think I would share why I'm, I, I'm I've got problems. I mean, if he's a friend and they don't recognize. <laughs> well, thank you, Don. 
<laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. That's not what I was intending. I did cut you off, and I didn't mean to do that, so you'll need to forgive me. I'm not uh, offended. Okay. You're a friend. I know, that's true. I, I agree. So, so what you're doing is you're actually gently being truthful, as you talked about earlier, Dennis. So, truthful yeah. is, is saying, hey, this is kind of what's going on in my perspective. From my perspective, is that true for you? I kind of am experiencing this like this. Is that possible that you're experiencing that as well? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And it points out, I believe, one of the benefits of a good friendship is it makes us a better person. And it should be. I, I, I guess we've all known people that need that constant affirmation. But I just want to say to whoever asked the question, thank you for being the affirmer in that person's life. Mm -hmm. I, they have probably, I, I don't know who that, who their, what their history is, but they have probably had a long time of people telling them what a rotten person they are, how, what a failure they are. And God has just put you in their life to be one of theirs, those affirmers. Having said that, there does need to be some good boundaries there to where, you know, with time and, and I think Marcial pointed out that where you are actually asking them to, to make a, a bold step towards improving and uh, uh, towards a healthier perspective of themselves. Uh, I'm reminded of, I think it's Ecclesiastes where it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I think that's what friends are, are designed to do. Thank you. Let's, let's move to another question that, that actually leads us into an everyday situation that we all face in our practices. In this cyber world filled with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc., how can we foster good friendships and not be hurt or jealous of our friends or other close friendships? This is a big deal in therapy today, isn't it? I'm getting lots of nods up here. Let me read that question again. Be ready to respond to it if you don't mind. In this cyber world filled with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc., how can we foster good friendships and not be hurt or jealous of our friends or other close friendships? I don't mean to be glib, but I'm going to be. Just get off that stuff. <laughs> don't go there, you know? We got some clapping even tonight. That's, way to go, preach it. Okay. So it could be, it's, there's truth to that. If it's, um, if it's really being painful and causing you damage, yes. it's like, come on, do you love yourself enough to just say, you know what, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to constantly live on this stuff like people do, the, tell everybody my every move, you know? Hey, most people don't really care. Yeah, my sister, a, she's a spiritual director at a church in Oklahoma City, a pretty large church with about five LMFTs on staff. She's a spiritual director and she had a mother come in the other day and was having a problem with the phone that her daughter was using and my sister asked a very good question. The question is, what is the purpose of the phone for your daughter? Oh, the purpose is so that I can reach her when I'm not reachable or she's not reachable by view of uh, virtue of um, distance. And it caused the mother to think, well, we're using it for everything except for that most of the time. So we might even reflect on what you said even a little further, asking what's the use, what's the purpose of this? We all know we've had clients who've said, I've got, somebody said the other day, I have 4,000 friends on Facebook. And it caused me to reflect a little bit. 
I don't even think 4,000 people have ever heard of me. And, uh, you know, and I thought, wow, that's remarkable. But how would you, let's, let's use this as a starting place because this is a big issue and we're all involved um, in this. And these are remarkable communication tools. Um, and, and they could also be devastating for relationships. How would you pick up on what Dr. Falan was saying and let's move forward with it with this cyberspace? <laughs> well, Marcial, I love Facebook. <laughs> uh, however, I haven't made friends through Facebook. I have kept up with friends through Facebook. And if I think that's the difficulty, is trying to make friends uh, through uh, the internet. It's, there is so, so much you don't know about them. Mm. Uh, so I w as I look at Facebook uh, and email and things like that, that I see it as a way to keep up with friends who are a distance from me. I, I read about their kids. I hear about their job promotions. Uh, so it can be uh, a very effective way of, of maintaining friendships until you're able to spend face-to-face uh, -face time. Uh, I, I've had clients who've tried to use dating sites and uh, to develop a relationship with someone. And those are, it's just, it is so uh, problematic and uh, so full of challenges. I have also have some friends who have met their love of their life on uh, a dating site. So I really do have some uh, mixed feelings about it, but going at it with the idea that uh, I, I need to be careful, I need to be aware, and not accepting at face value the things that I read about that person. Well, I have a, as a woman, and having friends and clients, and younger and older, coming in with um, a lot of the pain that comes from watching social life happen on these forums and feeling, a lot of the feelings of uh, seeing events happening where you're left out, it seems to trigger a lot, especially for women. I'm, I'm sure it happens for men as well, but it seems like especially for girls, women, just seeing things and then our imagination goes. And then the feelings, that familiar feeling of back in the day of being left out and seeing that, oh, this fabulous life is happening. And there, and it's amazing how quickly it can happen to, you know, teenage girls up to 60-year-old women. And um, I loved what you said. It was great. And realistically, I, you know, I've said some of my clients, they've had to wean from obsessively staring at it every moment to track their boyfriends you know, down to maybe a few times a day, down to maybe just limiting your time because when it does start, like, when the thoughts start going into where it's ruined, where, where you start thinking that you're missing out, it's taking away from your quality of life. So that's where I like the idea of limiting it, where you look, you know, if it's taking away from your quality of life and you really, in reality, don't know what's going on, that's where I'd say, you know, limit limit the time. That would be my suggestion and what I've suggested to others. And then talk to other people on the outside and safe people where you can um, share, share with a safe friend your feelings. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Roxanne. I, I'm just going to add, I'm sure many of you have, have you seen the commercial with the, the young gal who um, has a bunch of friends on Facebook and she's sitting on there on the Facebook and it's a commercial for a car and her parents are out <laughs> with their friends bike riding and, and everything and she just feels real bad for her parents because they only have what, you know, 
eight friends and she has 400 and something. You know? <laughs> and there she is on a beautiful day on the, her Facebook. And and her, her parents are out there riding their bike in the mountainside with their friends, you know. And I just think that is just, it's just my favorite commercial because it's, like Marshall said, get out there and and I, I would just encourage uh, so many of the people I see social media has just become a, a real difficulty and it can be very good in certain circumstances and it can be such so harmful and especially for younger um, kids in high school and junior high and now go down to elementary school and um, you know, what was life like before that? Relationships were different before a social media. So that commercial comes to my head, get out there and just get away from that. Um, use it when you need to, um, to and to reconnect and that kind of thing. But wow, it's, it's harmful. Yeah. I think there's some recent current literature, I'm, I'm trying to read up on this very carefully, that's suggesting that it's leading to, we've already referred to it, some form of addiction, but a narcissistic bent, which a narcissistic bent is I need to receive who I am from someone else. Someone else needs to tell me who I am. Now we are told who we are by others around us. However, if, like I think was said, if I'm expecting someone to text me, email me, Facebook me, Twitter me, all of these things, and I'm waiting, and then I'm thinking, maybe he doesn't like me, it's the female of which you were speaking, he doesn't like me, I wait five minutes, now my anxiety goes up, and that then creates an atmosphere by which I might uh, move into some sort of substance abuse or some sort of obsessive compulsive behavior to lower my anxiety. So it's almost like gambling, you're raising your anxiety and then you're reducing it by your action. So it's very troublesome, I, I think that word is very helpful um, to say as we look at this. I'd like to, for us to move to the next question that actually refers us a little bit back to demands, to demands that maybe a friend would make on us. This, this next question says, in the past, I had a friend whose expectations and demands on me were more than I could meet. That somewhat sounds like the other question that was raised. And here's where it goes a little different direction. We have gone our separate ways, but I still have some guilt over our, quote, parting of the way, unquote. When is it wise to end a relationship? This is a very powerful question. When is it wise to end a friendship? Uh, that's assuming it could be an unhealthy friend. It could be a healthy friend. Um, it could be a number of the discussions we've had tonight, but this person apparently is feeling some guilt. Now that may be real or unreal guilt, but nonetheless the person may well be feeling that over the parting of the way, or their ways, I guess, parting of their ways. When is it wise to end a friendship? The first thing that comes to mind is the phrase, there are times when the toxic people in our lives, uh, like we said, friends who may poison, uh, who may detract or hurt us in ways, 
and they may not even know it. Well, then in a way, it's kind of like our responsibility to set the boundary and to let them know that, hey, you know, oh, that really hurt. This can be even with family members, too, that uh, we have, that we have, that constantly abuse and misuse. Uh, us, it, it's really our responsibility to, to let them know what our boundary is because if they don't know it, then they can't, they're not responsible for it. We are. We have to let them know. But then if they're constantly not respecting our boundary, once we've let them know that, then there may be that time when you have to say, you know, I'm sorry, I just can't continue on with you mm. because it's just too painful. And, uh, you know, if it changes, well, then let's talk. But setting that bound, toxic kind of people, it's legitimate to say, you know, where they, they damage us, hurt us, abuse us uh, in many ways, take advantage of us beyond once we have let them know of our boundaries, that we legitimately need to stop that kind of a relationship. So, Dr. Marcial, with that, it sounds like you're suggesting it's much more important if I'm needing to end a relationship, this is like a friendship, that I would address it with the person, if at all possible, why would that be more important than maybe just kind of avoiding the relationships, just kind of left it, let it drift off and just end on its own? Why are you suggesting it's more important to address it with the person? Because that, that is challenging, isn't it, for all of us? I would agree with you. I'm just wondering if we could talk about why that is the case. Well, and the latter that you mentioned and just letting a relationship kind of tail off is kind of happens a lot mm -hmm. uh, rather than deal with the unpleasantries of going through all that. And a lot of people do that. People leave churches without just letting people know. They just kind of ride off into the sunset instead of, in a sense, kind of like taking the high road and meeting with a leadership or a pastor or somebody say, you know, hey, this is why we're leaving. Just want you to know. Uh, so your comment was, why do we do that? Well, we, we like to take the easy way out. Yes. You know, instead of really doing the hard thing and, and kind of being upfront with people about what's going on. That takes, you know, should be bathed in a lot of prayer and takes courage. Mm -hmm. and, um, and too often times we don't, we, we just don't want to go there because of the difficulty of it. We avoid the unpleasant, the hard. But, you know, it's kind of like when I read scripture, usually Jesus never did, you know, I mean, the Christian life isn't about smooth sailing, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I read a thing about a pastor who just retired, a wise man, uh, and he says, he says, you know, the thing that, that I've learned in ministry is never pray for things to go smooth. <laughs> I thought, wow, I've been really thinking about that a lot because I do that a lot. Oh, God, please let this go well. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's not really the, the, the way of the cross. It's not about the way, the smooth way. It's about doing the tough thing. It's about taking the high road when we'd rather avoid or take the low road, that kind of thing. Am I answering your question, Dr. Yeah, Welch? I, I, I think you are. What happens to us when we don't when we don't take a healthy confrontation? Because it sounds like in this question, the question had a tone of that the person's feeling guilty that the relationship ended, the friendship, and we don't know how that ended um, or what led up to that. Help us to kind of unravel or, or unlayer the concept if we just let it drift off, which is more of a cutoff, than if we address the issue or the issues like you were suggesting, Marcial. Help us to understand that the difference, because I think this is a very good question that's being asked. 
now that you say cut off, um, when we do that, we end up cutting people off. And if we do the cut off, we tend to take that into other relationships and other parts of our lives. So if we cut off, we really haven't dealt with the issue. And like Marcial had said, you know, it would take, it's, it, at the time, it's the easy road. We, we kind of want to avoid the confrontation or, or the difficult talk that we have to have. And so we tend to repeat that in, in our relationships. And so when we cut off, we really haven't dealt with the issue. So um, that's really the issue, is cutting it off. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure about the, the guilt part, but if we're feeling guilty or we feel there's something that's bothering us about it, that in my mind, and again, I don't know the situation, so I can't say for sure, but I think the Lord kind of nudges us and kind of gives us that feeling of something's not right. So do I just sit with it and hope it goes away, or do I address it? The hard part is to address it and, and you know, to come back with a loving, um, a soft spirit and, and talk to that person if you can, if it's still possible and and talk about it talk about what happened um, and I think you know it's hard to do it's not easy but I think then you can do that with other relationships also that soft spirit comes oftentimes when we're listening to the Lord listening for him to speak through us listening for him to help us to see the good and the other person and who they are that's, isn't that correct? And it's very important for us to take the time to do that. Erin, you were going to respond to that. And um, Well, another thought I had was if the relationship didn't end in a cutoff way, but the person um, on the, the person who wrote it maybe just has a, has a hard time with endings. And if the guilt itself is just because of a guilt of of feeling bad and not allow not being able to let something go I, I would say that's that's something different and I'm I'd be curious about that whereas even if it, if, it, if it's not a healthy relationship and even knowing that and that there's just guilt because of the feeling like you should stay in a relationship anyway um, so I was just curious if you know to be able to look at either or and maybe and there are some people that you, I mean, I would say that there are some people that just really are unhealthy and you may not be able to have a really healthy ending, though you'd still want some kind of a process, but you, not, you may not be able to go and have a clear-cut ending the way you would like. And that in itself could cause discomfort. So I'd, you know, I, I'd hate to have this person feeling guilty, thinking maybe they they need to go have some finalization. I mean, I'd, it'd be, I just want them to, you know, really listen to their spirit and know what their guilt is. So, whoever you are out there, just check that out and see if it's because of your own, you know, feelings of not being able to let something go, or for a real need to have a, a better finish, a cleaner finish. So that's what I wanted to say. Just real quickly, we have a few minutes left and I have a few questions, but I, I want to just um, talk briefly about the cutoff issue to help us to understand because it could sound like I was suggesting you should never cut off, I mean you should never end a relationship, but always assert yourself. Why is it, going back to Roxanne, not that she needs to respond to this, but certainly you're welcome to, is help us to understand 
what a cutoff is and why do we tend to take that into the next relationship? We know that when they're a divorce and then someone remarries, there's a higher percentage of uh, failing in the second marriage than you did in the first because you're bringing some of this into the next marriage that you haven't resolved. Let's talk for just a moment though. What is a cutoff? Why does it, why do you carry it with you? You refer to that and I believe that. Talk to us for just a moment. It's kind of how to end a relationship but what cutoff does to us, what it is, kind of help us to uh, bring out some more of the information related to it. Um, well, I see cut off as um, kind of an escape. Um, you, you know, sort of, oh, I wish I could just get away. I'm just going to leave this. I can't stand this situation or this. I'm just going to leave it. When you do something like that, you haven't dealt with the issues that were, were occurring that caused that desire to escape, to get away from that person. And so... Um, that's what cutoff is. It's just leaving the whole situation. Well, if you do that, then you don't deal with the issues. You don't deal with your own issues. How are you part of that, what has occurred in the relationship that has gone wrong? Um, usually it's two-sided. And so um, you haven't dealt with that. So you bring that, your own issues that you haven't dealt with in that past relationship into another relationship. If you're talking about a marriage and um, you haven't dealt with the issues in the first marriage and you move on and you say, well, this next one will be better. I'm fairly certain you're going to bring your own issues into this next one too. So it's, it's all about dealing with the issues when they're happening and not just escaping from them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is that kind of how you... Yeah. So a pure cutoff is, is setting myself up for future problems that will be kind of a, a, a second part of the song. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that you can't end a relationship. Right. I mean, a lot of relationships need to be ended. Mm -hmm. It's just how you go about ending that relationship, it, not just escaping from the relationship. As we begin to wind down tonight, thank you so much. That this, this question here is back to, or moving a little more into a marriage relationship, friendship, if you will. I'd like to become better friends with my spouse, but truthfully, the things that I like to do, my spouse takes little interest in. Welcome to marriage. I'm sorry. I'm envious. <laughs> I'm, you already said that. Before marriage, opposites attract. After marriage, opposites can attack. So I'm just quoting Dennis here. He's responsible for my response. No, I'm kidding. That I'm envious of couples who share common interests. But honestly, there's not much middle ground save the usual dinners or movies. We talk a lot about doing something fun, but our definitions are drastically different. So the question is, I'd like to become better friends with my spouse, but truthfully, the things that I like to do, my spouse takes little interest in. How would you work with a patient, a client, on this particular question? It's a great question. Well, it sounds like you are spending some time. You mentioned dinners and movies. That's, there's probably a lot of couples that would wish that they were even doing that. Uh, but I would also suggest not giving up. There's, oh, there's always something that somebody discovers uh, and uh, realizes that the two of you can share that. Even something as simple as a walk, uh, you know, taking a, a daily walk with your spouse. Those can be very special moments, and it, uh, I think in a healthy relationship, 
there's always that uh, overlap of uh, things that you enjoy doing together. And there are other things that you enjoy doing independently or with someone else. So just because you're not doing everything together, it's not certainly not a signal of unhealth in your relationship. Um, and it sounds like you're already on a uh, heading in the direction where you're, you're actually going out to some meals, uh, your uh, movies. And I would suggest there's probably a few other little things that you can do there together that is going to enrich your marriage. Well, I think about also the, the, you know, the aspect of love and giving. As Dennis said, even in friends, um, the out of the book uh, "Lasting Promise: uh, A Christian Guide to Fighting for Your Marriage," um, they have you do an exercise because fun is one of the first thing that goes in a marriage, and this is one of the things that causes so many problems in our marriage. But they suggest that that each of the husband and the wife write a list of things you enjoy doing or would like to do on a date. Make, just write them on three by five cards. Make a list of them. The husband has his, the wife has theirs. And then um, you, you each take turns. The husband picks one from the wife's stack. He gets to read to them and say, okay, let's do this one this week. The husband chooses. The next time they're gonna do a date, the wife chooses from the husband's stack. That way, you're still doing something that the other person enjoys, but you get to say, you get to have a say in it. So it's not like we're always doing what you want to do, you know. Uh, it's, well, we're doing what you want to do, but I got to pick it, you see. So you still have a little say in that uh, out of that stack of your, um, your, and there's a name for it, I forget what they call them, but out of your stack of the fun things that you would do. And that's a, a great book, uh, Lasting Promise, Fighting for Your Marriage, a Christian guide to fighting for your marriage. Well, thank you. We have just about uh, utilized all of our time this evening. Would you join me in thanking our panel for their presentation this evening? I do apologize. There's a couple questions that we did not quite get to. I apologize for that. What a rigorous discussion tonight. I want to mention that our next My Therapist Says in March is Best Parenting and Grandparenting Skills and Roxanne Strauss will be our presenter that evening. So you might uh, mention that to other friends, March 6th, and I think you have a copy of that. And then we also do have a slide that illustrates our uh, streaming. Uh, that you can have friends or others uh, listen in during the 6.45 to 8 p.m., the first Wednesday of each month. I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then we will close for this evening. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for friendship. We really do have friendship with Jesus. You asserted yourself, you reached out to us, and you love us so deeply, and we, we're so grateful. You are the example of the true friend, the only true friend. And so we thank you for that wonderful grace. Bless each person that is here this evening or listening uh, by our streaming or by audio, uh, that you would bless them in their friendships. And we'll be careful to give you praise for working through us, in us, and around us in our friendships. And we'll give you praise this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless and have a great evening. Thank you for coming.